Welcome to the EFC Podcast. I'm Karen Stiller. Jeff Greenman is President and Professor of Theology and Ethics at Regent College in Vancouver. He is leading the college through the challenging times faced today by every North American school of theological education. We talked in Vancouver about some of these challenges, the changing face of the church in Canada, and what we can all learn from the church in the majority world. So you are the fifth president of Regent. And I understand, uh, like when Regent began, its big emphasis was to equip the whole body of Christ. And it was pretty unique back then, I think, um, in its emphasis on graduate theological education for the laity. Is that still a thing? A unique thing? It's still a thing for us (laughs) at Regent, for sure. And it is the original founding vision was a school for the whole people of God, to use our phrase, for the laity. Yeah. And the innovation of Regent back in the 60s, and we started officially in 1970, was very much, we were, we were pretty much the first school that had ever done that. Mm-hmm. And changed the paradigm from theological education at the graduate level, being for people that were going into professional ministry or vocational pastoral ministry, Two, being people that are trying to integrate their faith with the everyday world of work and family and neighborhood and community and deepen the faith that they have lived out in all of those spheres. So that has been the founding vision. It's still very much yeah. what we're about, and it's still where the majority of our students locate themselves. Okay. And it's it's been picked up by, by other schools as well. In a sense, they have... They have seen the value of educating the whole people of God and not just a kind of professional clergy. Mm-hmm. And But still, the way that we do it is probably a little different from others. And the the feel of this place is shaped very much by that agenda. Yeah. So tell me how it is different. Well, I think the kinds of questions that are interesting become different if you're trying to speak to the whole people of God rather than just a professional clerical mm-hmm. preparation, as important as that is. And right. we have an MDiv program, and we have people that are going to be pastors and church planters. But I think it's just a bigger, broader conversation. It's really about what does it mean to live out faith in every sphere of society, mm-hmm. not primarily the question of, well, how do we organize the church or how do we do church programming? All of that's very important. But that's not all of the conversation. The bigger conversation really is how do you nurture people's faith to live out an integrated faith in everyday life? Mm -hmm. What does this actually mean for engaging our culture? What does it mean for the uh, social and political questions of our day? What does it mean for the moral challenges people face in the workplace? If you're a teacher or an architect or a politician or a fireman, How do you live that out? Mm -hmm. So it's a bigger, broader conversation. It's about truly what the mission of the church is in the sense that the whole people of God are sent out into the world on behalf of Christ and to be witnesses and ambassadors for Christ everywhere. And so then the conversation about the role of the congregation is in that context. And the congregation, in a sense, becomes seen from our standpoint as though the gathering of that community to be equipped and encouraged and built up in fellowship and Mm -hmm. teaching and prayer and worship to be sent out, to be sent out into the everyday world of work and family and neighborhood and Mm -hmm. school and everything else uh, with uh, the spreading the aroma of Christ as they go. So it's very much a sense that there's a gathering of the church 
for upbuilding and there's a sending of the church out into mission and ministry. So in a sense, it's a bigger view of what mission mm-hmm. and ministry is than a lot of seminaries typically have taken. Yeah. And we, we would argue here from the regent standpoint, that really is the deep biblical logic mm-hmm. of ascending of all the people into the, the, the mission field of that whole world as opposed to a kind of professional paradigm. Yeah. And wouldn't that be like a dream to a pastor to imagine that their church was filled with people that you, like you've just yeah. described? For sure. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that the church overall to generalize, which is always a little dangerous, but, but overall is yearning for is that sort of equipped and mobilized yeah. laity. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that, that is happening around the landscape of North America, for sure, is that churches are looking at, in a sense, new models of formation mm-hmm. and theological education. And some parachurch, if you would call them that, uh, uh, ministries have emerged that are focusing on how do we actually nurture this kind of a deeper faith? How do we connect up the Sunday and Monday realities right. of people's lives? Yeah. There's just there's more happening on that front. Mm-hmm. There's more initiative to look at the faith work connection uh, from different groups and organizations. Churches are now starting their own institutes or study centers or mm. fellows programs. You know these are these are bubbling up, and I think it's very significant a significant trend, and I applaud it really that the church is taking seriously this sort of deeper formation that goes beyond what Sunday worship and a midweek Bible study can do. And I think there's a hunger in the church for a deeper kind of formation Mm -hmm. that has deeper roots in faith, gives, gives people more and forms people more deeply and, and has a deeper sense of community built into it. And so those kinds of uh, initiatives and theological education are more non-formal or informal theological education, mm-hmm. uh, but they tend to to scratch people where they're itching. Yeah. And they tend to be less expensive, less time-consuming, and people aren't necessarily looking for a formal credential, mm-hmm. but they are looking for learning. They are mm-hmm. looking for education. They are learning for looking for substance. They're looking for people to connect with and talk to and you know, read a great book with and wrestle with. Right. Uh, and so that's one of the things I think is interesting and very exciting in a sense in the mm-hmm. broader in the broader sphere of what the church is trying to do. So is that an opportunity for the seminary or the academy to walk alongside the church and provide those workshops and seminars? And- I, I think so. I, I think it's interesting that, that the church in that sense is not necessarily, I mean, a lot of those initiatives mean that the church hasn't seen the academy mm. as a place necessarily to go. Right. And the academy, I think, has a bit of answering to do. Mm-hmm. And why is it that these other institutes and study centers and fellows programs and all these other kinds of things are bubbling? Why don't they just come to the formal theological schools? Right. Well, I think those of us on the formal theological school side need to say, hmm, maybe there's something that we're not doing. Yeah. Maybe there's a need there that we're not addressing. Mm-hmm. And the church necessarily isn't necessarily well connected to formal theological schools. It's a kind of a mysterious place, this yeah. academic realm. Mm-hmm. Why would you go there? Frightening, I think. Kind of, fright- <laughs> kind of intimidating. Yeah. That's for the place that are really super smart or super mm-hmm. serious. Uh, it's not for people like me mm-hmm. who want a deeper faith and to figure out, you know, how to be, uh, a, you know, a better person in the marketplace. Yeah. So. <clears throat> 
I think one of the things that, that we can learn on the formal side is to pay attention to what are those yearnings and desires mm -hmm. that are calling people into these new, new kind of forms and expressions. But it is a way also for a deeper partnership. Yeah. So, so for us and for other schools, I think it's very good for us to pay attention to who are these groups and what are they working mm -hmm. on. There's churches that are starting their own kind of study programs putting together quite serious programs of study, but it's not for a degree. Okay. How can we come alongside yeah. and partner? How can our faculty partner? How can the resources of a place like Regent or other theological schools be useful to them? Because mm -hmm. we do have a lot of resources to offer, and we're totally for the, the agenda of forming a deeper, more integrated faith. Yeah, especially so, Regent. Especially Regent, yeah. yes, but other schools are as sure. well. And a lot of schools have some sort of ministry of lifelong learning or mm -hmm. continuing education or something under that kind of banner that we all care about ways that we reach into the life of, in a sense, the ordinary person in the pew yeah. rather than the super scholarly person who wants, you know, wants a degree. Yeah. So it's a chance for partnership. Yeah. Let me ask you about theology as a topic and as a mm -hmm. discipline. Um, mm -hmm. You've said that theology has always been a communal enterprise, a quote that I really liked. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about uh, the layperson who would see the seminary as a place for theologians, and theology is something very other and hard to understand. And I have, as an editor and a writer, I've worked with academics sometime to try to present their theology in a way that I could understand. Right. And there is this sort of disconnect, I think, sometimes in how theology is written and how it's presented that does put off the layperson and think, yeah. well, this isn't for me. Is that just um, unavoidable? or? <laughs> well, it's a very good observation. It's a good challenge to those of us in the formal academic realm. Mm -hmm. uh, the church's business has always been to think about being faithful in its context, mm -hmm. in this place and this time, as these people. And so the mission of the church and the calling to faithfulness means that we have to be thinking, we have to be theologizing, we have yeah. to be coming back to the scriptures. So it's a perennial challenge. Mm -hmm. And so that way of thinking about theology means that it all begins in the life and work of the church. Okay. And therefore... Theology at its best is really a servant of the church mm -hmm. to help the church think about what is it to be faithful, to think about what is it that we're saying, what is it that we're preaching, what is it that the scriptures mean. That's always a task. Now, the way that formal academia works, there's a strong pull towards certain kinds of questions that academics like to talk about. Okay. Sometimes fairly arcane topics, sometimes methodological squabbles about how do you do this or that rather than frontline questions of faithfulness mm -hmm. for the people of God doing the mission of God. Mm -hmm. And so there's always a bit of a jockeying. So uh, the Christian Academy, in a sense, has one foot in the scholarly debate of what seems like fairly rarefied topics. Some of those rarefied topics really do matter mm -hmm. more than the ordinary person in the pew might, might think. Might think it's a very arcane question. Why do you bother with that, Professor Jones or Smith? I... <laughs> Who cares? Well, actually, if you think it through, often we do have reasons for caring. Yeah. But that said... There's implications, right, there's that we may not fully appreciate. Well, no, I mean, there's there's very practical uh, implications for life and worship and evangelism that come out of the doctrine of the Trinity or yeah. Christology, um, thinking about the mission of the church. Mm -hmm. These these do matter. 
but that said, I think that the academy sometimes has not done, the Christian academy has not done as good a job as it could of translating that language mm-hmm. into the language of the ordinary reader yeah. or the ordinary person in the pew, mm-hmm. so to speak. One of my heroes is John Stott, mm-hmm. and John Stott, I think, is the master of this sort of genre of taking very complicated topics and soaking in advanced theology, but putting it forward in very clear and straightforward terms in ways that speak to the life of the church. So he's kind of a hero of mine Mm. as a translator or bridge builder between the sort of formal academic world and the life of the congregation and the world of mission. And I I think that he's exemplary in that way. I mean, a person like Tom Wright has Mm -hmm. done that as well. Tom can give you a run for all of your money academically that you want, but he writes a lot of books that people are, are reading, mm-hmm. people in the pew and Bible study groups and pastors are using, because he has an amazing gift of translation and yeah. communication. Very rare and a beautiful thing that he offers to the church and many others too. But it's it's just that academia has its own discourse, mm-hmm. and it's not the discourse of the front lines of faith. Right. and. Translators are necessary in the life of Regent. J.I. Packer has been that. Mm, yeah. uh, Paul Stevens has mm-hmm. been that. Eugene Peterson has been that. These are great people from yeah. our faculty community over the years. They've had a passion to speak to the church. Mm. And I think that scholar, not all scholars are particularly skilled at that translation. And what they do is valuable in its own right. But those translators are really important in this day and age to bring solid biblical teaching and theological insight into the life of the church. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask you, too, because you have an interest in the global church and the global south, and what can we learn from that growing church, if I understand it correctly? It's not dwindling or struggling like our, you know, to generalize church might be. Oh, well, there's so much. that That's a long, long answer, really. I'll try to be relatively succinct. Well, it's but, good that it's a long answer, I guess. Well, there's so much that is that is good and to be applauded in the life and growth of the global church. And there's so much that we in the West, uh, which primarily does not have a growing church. Of course, there are pockets mm-hmm. here in the West in the sort of North Atlantic context that are growing. And that's all exciting to see. Mm-hmm. But overall, the trend line is not is not positive. Yeah. We're very much part of a secularizing and post-Christian environment, for sure. But our brothers and sisters around the world who are seeing a lot of new life and growth and vitality in the church, and the center of gravity very much has shifted from this North Atlantic context to Africa and Asia and Latin America, and that's been very well chronicled by a number of mm-hmm. scholars, Philip Jenkins and Andrew Walls and Laman Sane and others have documented this quite beautifully. It's an amazing phenomenon of mm-hmm. our time that that shift has happened. But there's just so much that we can learn from that. I mean, a few, a few of the basic lessons are that this is a church that is in a minority position in their cultures. Right. For the most part, there are, there are exceptions of some countries that are majority or seriously majority Christian. But for the most part, Christianity is a more marginalized minority movement that has to find a way to navigate that that marginalized position and be faithful and be witness and be the church. And for us in North Atlantic context, where the cultural tides have shifted so much, we're now increasingly in a minority Mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. We're no longer the dominant cultural force in North America. Certainly that's true of us in Canada. And so I think the, the lessons of faithfulness from a minority position 
not as a dominant group, but as a, a kind of alternative voice, are very, very valuable. Another lesson would, I think, be that goes part and parcel of that, really, is the, the way in which a suffering, sacrificing, witnessing church matters so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're not the majority group, you're much more likely to be the suffering group in right. the culture. Right. That certainly is happening. Mm-hmm. And for us who are used to a more dominant cultural position for Christians in our society uh, to face uh, the realities of suffering and mm-hmm. persecution, and it's not a sort of active, bold, aggressive persecution, but it's a kind of low-grade sense of neglect or yeah. marginalization or privileges that are no longer there, mm-hmm. uh, our brothers and sisters around the world are, are way ahead of us in navigating that yeah. and not relying upon some of the same sort of cultural or systemic supports for the vitality of, of the church. Another theme is simply the way that many of our brothers and sisters live also as a religious minority in their settings. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a majority Muslim country or a majority Buddhist country or Islam, whatever it might be, uh, there's just a different mindset. Mm-hmm. And you do not control the agenda and what gets talked about. Yeah. And uh, I think as, as we in the North Atlantic context are in a much more religiously plural environment, mm-hmm. we can't insist upon our kind of ways of doing things or sort of stand for our rights, mm-hmm. uh, although there are, of course, religious freedoms in our cultures, but it's to learn from those faithful brothers and sisters mm-hmm. what it means to be in a minority yeah. religious context and be respectful and in partnership and in critical ways with other religious groups, mm-hmm. to be in dialogue and very open dialogue about where our similarities or differences mm-hmm. or agreements and disagreements and to be be evangelizing in that context, yeah. um, where that's what our, our call is to represent Christ in the midst of that. And so I think all of those ways are, are really essential. And the last thing I, I guess I would mention would be the church in every context is called to be faithful right where they are. Mm-hmm. And so what our brothers and sisters are able to do, I think, is look at the scriptures through different eyes with different sets of glasses, so to speak, to read the text that comes from their setting, from their context, from their history, from the challenges often of poverty or injustice or an unstable political environment or other things. They just see things in scripture that we've missed. Mm -hmm. They have eyes to see, oh, this makes sense to us here because we are seeing this. (laughs) Whereas in our setting, sometimes we miss those. And so the chance to, in a sense, read the Bible with more globalized eyes and not just particularly we have very Western individualistic eyes Mm -hmm. and the biblical story is not a Western individualistic narrative. Mm -hmm. It's very much a collective culture mindset and a communal narrative much more than it is individual. Right. So our brothers and sisters who come from more communal collective cultures rather than our very individualistic North Atlantic culture can say, Hey, you in the West, you ought to pay attention to this. This yeah. is the body of Christ we're talking about. Right. Community. Community. Yeah. Why is it that we so often translate all of those plural U's from <laughs> Hebrew and Greek into singular U's? Yeah. And sometimes we even put our name in there just to... <laughs> put our name in there, right? Why is that? You know? And, and language, you know, about the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You collectively. Yeah. You people, yeah. right? 
So one of the themes of, of Western theology is just how individualistic it has mm. become. Mm-hmm. And we're concerned for our salvation and your salvation and my salvation yeah. more than we are. God is calling a people together that we belong to. Mm-hmm. And so I know in yeah. my own case, it's particularly been African brothers and sisters from a more collective mindset who have said, yeah, that's really what we're talking about. We're a people here. Yeah. And you and I belong to that people. Mm-hmm. as opposed to, well, God chose you and chose me, and we individually are saved, yeah. which is, of course, a great joy that everyone can individually name the name right. of Jesus, but we are brought together into a community of faith. And, and so these themes are so important for us in the West to, to learn from. When you were speaking about the individualism and the, the I experience that we tend to have in the Western church, I thought about people moving from church congregation to church congregation often. And do we see that in the developing world? Oh, somewhat you do, okay. yeah. Um, but there's that's sort of a human tendency, I guess. And the Western, the Western mindset about consumerism mm. um, does travel far and wide. Okay. Uh, and that's a consumerist kind of, right. well, it's up to you to choose. You're sort of choosing a product. Yeah. I like this product better than that product. And... Uh, I hope that our brothers and sisters can resist that sort of mm. consumerism. Mm-hmm. It's it's not good for us. It's yeah. not good for the soul. But we are very much caught in that here. Mm. In a sense, churches then market themselves, quote unquote, over against others. So true. We yeah. have a product line that you'll like better yeah. than this product line. Mm-hmm. We'll meet your needs better than this. Yeah. Uh, and all churches are, of course, trying to meet needs. But the way that you kind of, in a sense, market to those needs and promote mm-hmm. them as uh, it looks it looks like a, a product on a shelf from the store. Yeah. That, that really has to be resisted, and that's not been good and healthy for us in the North Atlantic mm-hmm. world. I don't think that um, you can say uh, it would be too idealistic that um, the global church has resisted that entirely yeah, yeah. by any stretch. Um, nor, nor is everything in global theology necessarily perfect either. Mm-hmm. Uh, we in the West have exported rather efficiently the health and wealth mm-hmm. and prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. which is really an American export to the world, and it's been latched onto and promoted in a whole variety of places around the world. Well, and it would be very attractive to uh, a poverty situation to think that that could be the case. Well, it has a certain kind of appeal, doesn't <laughs> sure. it? And, and it makes sense, and human nature being what it is, we are looking for a, a kind of material prosperity mm-hmm. in the midst of difficulty. Yeah, It's just, it's just such a distortion mm-hmm. of the gospel and yeah. a whole variety of theological problems arise quite quickly yeah. on that paradigm but that is that is one of the things that happens and it is a prominent uh, issue that the church around the world is wrestling with um, and and there's a perennial ongoing concern the orthodoxy of the preaching and confession mm-hmm. of the church and it does raise theological issues and issues of biblical interpretation and that partially is why I think theological education matters yeah. because yeah. in every era in every place you need to make decisions, really, mm-hmm. about how are we going to live our life, and is this really the message of God for us in this place, mm-hmm. and is that really what the scriptures are saying, and is that really consistent with the gospel, and all of those are theological questions yeah. that it takes some thinking about, mm-hmm. and some rooting and grounding in the biblical faith, and in the kind of inherited theological tradition to navigate those kinds of issues, and there's always those questions that um, make 
church leaders stop and pause and scratch their heads and yeah. say, how do we respond to this? Yeah, and so enter that, the seminary, right? Well, that, that's that's the case, really, of theological mm-hmm. education yeah. and serious study. And if we live in the in a world where, in a sense, the frontline work of mission always calls for theologizing, mm-hmm. the church's leadership always needs to be thinking about that. And in a sense, the church as a whole always needs to be thinking yeah. theologically. Is this really what God is calling us to? Is this yeah. really what faithfulness looks like? What do the scriptures say to us? So are those those three questions you just asked, and I'm sure there's more, but are they at the heart of what it means to ask theological questions then? I, I think so, they do. And, I mean, if, if, the, if more people understood those as the burning theological yeah. questions rather than Oh, uh, the famous one, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Um, I'm not sure anybody actually really (laughs) asked that question. I haven't ever found it myself. Um, But it is a a very good way to kind of uh, show some of the limitation of these very arcane kinds of removed questions. Who really cares how many angels could fit on that pin? Mm -hmm. But no, the, the frontline questions of mission and what does it mean mm-hmm. to wrestle with the scriptures and how is God asking us to be faithful, it calls for, for deeper and deeper thinking all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's a worldwide challenge and the context dictates different questions at different times mm-hmm. to different groups. Yeah. And we're largely always just, in a sense, on the brink of what's next around the corner in the culture mm-hmm. and what questions the world will be asking. And so a way to think deeply into that is really the task for theological education. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.